I'm Joanna Fortune, psychotherapist and author of the 15-minute parenting series of books. Welcome to my 15-minute parenting podcast, where I take a common parenting struggle and break it down with practical, playful solutions. Let's get going. Parenting the sensitive child is a topic I get asked about time and again, and it's one that I feel is really worth revisiting here in these times that we're living through, you know, coming out of this pandemic period, at least optimistically coming out of it. But it's something that, you know, we should be aware of. How has this particularly impacted our emotionally sensitive children? So I have noted a rise in questions from parents, understandably, about this topic, and specifically at a parent event I was talking at recently, a parent asked about practical ways to help what they were calling a deep feeling child to better understand that their feelings um, are a part of them and that they can avoid feeling overwhelmed by feelings, that feelings are just a normal part of life. And they kept referencing this deep feeling child that really I understand as an emotionally sensitive child. Now, if you're listening to this and you know, you have an emotionally sensitive child, this is not something that you need to pause and go, hmm, might I? If you're parenting a sensitive child, you know that you're parenting a sensitive child and you know how that feels and how it can challenge your parenting and that you have to adjust, especially if you're not emotionally sensitive as by default yourself, but how you have to adjust your parenting responses um, to meet their sensitivity. I think the main problem with sensitivity is how misunderstood it is in our society in general, to be honest. You know, sensitivity is often used in the context of chastisement or criticism. You know, people might say, don't be so sensitive. I was only joking. Or, you know, your problem is you're just too sensitive. Something like that. And it's very much to dismiss another person's emotional response or to minimize it. But sensitivity can be a wonderful quality to possess. It can even be an emotional superpower, to be honest, because sensitive people are highly attuned to the emotions and feelings of others. They're very good at reading people, reading situations quickly, and have an immense capacity for empathy all of which are great qualities in any adult. Um, and goodness knows if we had more sensitive people in the right jobs and positions of power in our society, wouldn't we all be much better off? You know, that said, <laughs> here's the caveat, because that said, it can be very difficult to be a sensitive child because sensitive children can easily become emotionally overwhelmed. And the reason for this is that it's very difficult for young children to distinguish between what's my feelings and what's somebody else's feelings. And of course, you know, we can't process another person's emotional experiences for them. So the sensitive child can easily become overwhelmed. You know, they're soaking up all of that emotional resonance from outside and around them and they're personalizing it in a bid to make sense of it. So it can be a little bit like, you know, if you think about it like a sponge that gets saturated, has soaked and soaked up so much fluid that it's saturated and can no longer soak up anymore until somebody comes and wrings it out. I mean, I think that's when I'm saying it out loud, I think that's some somewhat of a crude analogy. Um, but sensitive children need help from us adults, from their parents, to process and release what they're feeling so that they can move on unburdened. And for this reason, 
you're going to find that you need to employ different parenting strategies for your more sensitive children. Because even within your family, you may have one emotionally sensitive child and another child who's seemingly Teflon coated and most things just slide off them, nothing sticks. So you find you're going to need two very different parenting strategies for your children, even within the one family. Some of our more emotionally sensitive children tend to feel things at what I describe as a too much level. You know, they're not sad, they're devastated. Um, they're, they're not cross, they're enraged, they're not excited, they're hyper. You know, it can be tempting, you know, as a parent, as an adult in their lives, I think it can be tempting to dismiss their emotional acting out as overreacting. Or you might find yourself saying things like, oh, they're always making a mountain out of a molehill. I've even heard the, such children described as drama queens or mothers of sorrow who overreact in every situation. And this type of expression is ultimately unhelpful in parenting children who are emotionally sensitive because they actually need a more empathic parental response from us than this. And again, these kinds of amplified feeling states, while lots of sensitive children feel things deeply, they don't all feel them in this very over-dramatized way, but it can be a feature of emotional sensitivity. So just be mindful of that. And I think, you know, it can be helpful instead if you feel that you do have a bit of an eye roll and oh, drama queen and oh, blowing things out of proportion, mountains out of molehills. If you do have that instinct, it can be helpful to memorize, you know, to develop, you know, I'm going to read you a few out, you know, that I think are useful, but I also think you could develop your own and then they'll feel much more authentic to you. So this isn't prescriptive. I don't want you to think I'm giving you a script. Um, this is just something for you to consider. So you might, you know, have these key phrases that are centered around parts language. You know, you might say something like, you feel very strongly about this. And I can see your sad part is very big right now. And I'm wondering what we can do together to help you with that sad part so that we can make your happy part bigger. It, it, you know, in a phrase like that, okay? But basically what I'm saying is develop a language or a phrase, key phrases that allow you to acknowledge how your child is feeling while reminding them that this is just one part of them and not all of them. In other words, they might feel sadness now, but they are not the sad child in your family. You're, they, you know, they might feel angry now, but they're not the angry child in your family. They, you know, whatever it might be. But you're, you're also helping them by using phrases like this to understand that these feeling states are transient. They're not permanent and that there are things that we can do to process our feelings, which is often easier done with a parent than on their own. And in reminding your child of all of this, you're also reminding yourself of it, which makes you much less likely to say something like, oh, come on, it's not that big a deal. Snap out of it, you know, because it keeps you anchored in. Oh, wait, I see what's going on here. I need to take a different approach. What are those key phrases that I've developed for myself? You know, I often find that when more sensitive children are referred to me for therapeutic work, it's often with a presentation of anxiety or stress-related symptoms. Not always, but often. And these kinds of symptoms can include, again, they're not limited to these kinds of symptoms, but just to give you an idea, things like, you know, recurring tummy aches, headaches, that don't have a medical cause. And I would always encourage parents to rule out a medical cause before we decide something is emotional. It could also be something like sleep disturbance. It could be recurring negative thoughts or a fear that something bad is going to happen without any context to that feeling. Um, 
you know, maybe even something like food refusal, regressed behavior, like maybe bedwetting or soiling something you haven't seen from since they were younger, or maybe even the emergence of irrational fears, you know, a fear of vomiting, a fear of the wind or a fear of anything like that. And, you know, if, if you have a child who has developed fears like that, I did record an episode, which you'll find back in the archives about fears and phobias that you might find useful as well. But it can be things like this, or it could also be like clingy behavior, difficulty concentrating in school, any sudden changed unexplained behaviors. Um, because actually, you know, things like worries, anxiety, fear, they're complex things to talk about and to explain. So I often find that it's easier for children to understand and identify with those feeling states in themselves if I refer to it like something like an uh-oh feeling. Because all children, and I'm thinking here even young, very young children under seven, you know, when you say something like, you know, what about an uh-oh feeling? They know what you mean. They go, oh yeah, I get it. That whole bit of you that clenches the tummy or tightens the shoulders or something that makes you go uh-oh all over your body. And something I find very effective, and you could certainly look at doing this at home if it's applicable in your family, is to ask them to picture their uh-oh feeling. You know, what color is it? What shape and size is it? Where does it live in your body? Is it heavy? Is it light? Is there, is it there, you know, all the time or does it only appear some of the time? What kind of things make the feeling bigger than usual? And when was the last time you felt it? Can you tell me the story of that time? And I'm inviting a particular time so that it's a relational episode. And then I might say, you know, can you try to draw or paint it or make it out of clay or Play-Doh? And honestly, it's amazing the insights you'll gain into your child's emotional experience of fear, anxiety, worry, or uh-oh feelings if you gently explore it in this way. Another thing that I like to do, um, and again, that's very practical and creative, is to draw out a body map of feelings. So you're going to need to get a long roll of paper. You could use one of those art rolls of paper, or you could equally get um, a roll of wallpaper lining from any hardware shop. Just roll it out on the floor and have your child lie on top of it. You're going to cut it out, you know, to fit their length and then trace an outline around their entire body talking as you go. I'm going up your leg, around your ribs, down your arm and all around each finger so that they can anticipate without having to move on the piece of paper to look at you what you're doing. And when you've drawn their outline, get them to kneel alongside you on the floor, looking down at the page, you know, looking down at the outline of their body and lay out a range of colored crayons or markers and name feelings one at a time and ask your child to select a color for each feeling. For example, you might say, what color is anger? And they might say it's black or it's red or it's blue or whatever. And then ask the same question about what color is happy? What color are uh-oh feelings? What color are excited or sad or confused? Any feelings that you can think of, but be sure to mix in um, positive and negative feelings and never question the colors they select. Like if your child says, my angry feelings are yellow, accept that. You don't want to intervene with something like, oh, really, isn't yellow a happy color? Wouldn't you rather pick? Just let them pick and assign their own colors, okay? And then everybody um, is getting, you know, is going to view that in, in different ways. So just accept it. But I find it helpful to write down a color feelings code. So on the top of the paper, I might say, you know, anger equals yellow, you know, excited equals orange, uh-oh equals pink or whatever it is, just so I can track those colors and I don't have to keep asking them to repeat it. 
it. And then once you've selected a range of feelings, I think six or seven is enough. I often pause at the end and say, is there one you'd like to add in yourself that I haven't asked you? Um, hand them one color at a time and say, color in your body where this feeling lives. Okay, so they're going to color in the part of the body where the feeling lives. If it's a small feeling, they can make it small. If it's a big pervasive feeling, they can color in a larger area. And it is okay, and you should tell them it's okay for multiple feelings to live in the same place. This allows you to see if your child is storing, you know, most of their feelings or emotions up in their head or down in their tummies and how this might correlate with recurring tummy aches or emotional fatigue or headaches or anything like that again always get physical symptoms ruled out by your doctor first but it just allows you to see if they keep everything up in their head might that explain why they're forgetful or really tired or find it hard to concentrate anything like that and I think that's really important that you can explore even deeper still by wondering about a time when they felt each feeling. So you could, you know, try to be specific. You know, for example, you might say, I wonder if you can tell me about a time when you had this feeling and name when you were confused or when you were excited. And your aim here is, you know, ultimately to support your child to identify multiple feeling states so that they get to see that they're made up of a variety of emotions and feelings and that all feelings, good or bad, are healthy and normal. And by inviting the stories of those times they felt the feelings, you're helping them to link their emotional states to lived experiences. And that's going to enable them to integrate the learning from the experience and to process it in a deeper, more effective way. I mean, you can also use wondering, you know, you can wonder with them what they now think and feel about those experiences, which is going to support the development of that reflective functioning capacity. You know, you're helping them to see how they feel now may be quite different from how they felt at the time. You know, you might reach a point of, well, at the time I was scared, but now I understand it was just a movie and not real life, so I feel okay about it. And when the body map of feelings is complete, you can stand together and look at it before deciding to hang it somewhere. I would suggest sticking it somewhere that they can see it when they want, but don't have to see it all the time. For example, the inside of a wardrobe door is a good place to do that. And always hold in mind that our feeling states grow and develop as we do. And they change as we have more experiences and life experience. And for, for this reason, you know, I would suggest revisiting the body map of feelings every few months, you know, you decide it could be every four months, every six months, but once in a while that you revisit it and see if they would like to do another one to reflect how they're feeling now. And is there a shift or change in that? Um, but I think by inviting them to choose whether or not to do another one, you're keeping the feelings conversation door open and they know this is something they can revisit with you and talk about again. I just think, you know, it's, these are practical you know, helpful, therapeutic ways to support your children to develop a rich emotional language as they grow. You know, not all children will want or need to explore their feelings at this level and certainly not all the time, but our more emotionally sensitive children may actually need to do it and they may require our support to help to bring them to a place of being able to process their emotional states, even if they don't particularly want to because it's difficult. I mean, don't we all try to avoid difficult tasks? So I think by making it playful, you make it possible of inviting, but also appealing as a process to do. Give it a go and see how you get on. Thank you for listening. I'd love if you could leave a positive review, share this with a friend or a few friends, or even subscribe to the podcast. 
It really helps others to find it and helps with visibility online. You can also follow me on Instagram at Joanna Fortune or on Twitter at the Joanna Fortune. No E at the end of that. Tune in next time for more 15-minute parenting.